0: Have you ever had a moment uh, where you pretended to understand something but really had no idea what that person was talking about? Uh, maybe it's when you brought your car in to get fixed, something was wrong and the mechanic was like, oh, it's simple, it's the spark plugs and the catalytic converter. And you're like, oh yeah, I thought so, It thought it was a spark converter, <laughs> catalytic plugs, so yeah. Uh, or, or maybe it was um, your friend was talking about the stock market and uh, you're like, oh yeah, I know all about stocks. Buy low, sell high, right? And as you were talking about, they're like, oh really, what, what do you, where, where do you invest? And you're like, oh, I invest in the NAS, the NAS Jones and the TFX, right? Yeah, 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 those are stock markets, right? No, <laughs> uh, or maybe it was Bitcoin, right? You are talking about Bitcoin and talking about how, oh yeah, yeah, it's simple, Bitcoin's simple. It's a virtual currency, right? How complex can it be and then, you go to uh, one of the many places in our city that have Bitcoin ATMs and you're like, how does that work? It's supposed to be virtual, right? <laughs> uh, or maybe it was modern art. Maybe that's it, right? Have you ever gone through a gallery and just saw line? <laughs> or maybe it was a, a, a canvas that just had a lot of splattering of paint? And you're like, oh, that's, that's actually, that's not too bad. And, and then you go look at the price, you're like, $5,000 for that? It's so simple. Well, it's not really that simple, is it? Simple things aren't always so simple. You know, Some things might be simple uh, in, in, in look, right? They might look simple, but they're not really simple to understand. And, and then there are other things that are simple to understand, right? But they're not necessarily simple to live out. So as we enter back into the book of Philippians for this fall, or the letter to uh, the Philippian church, we're gonna be walking through things that at face value might look simple, but aren't necessarily simple to live out. So let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter two, and we're gonna start from verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, it's there for a reason. Right? So when we look at that and, and we have to wonder, right, okay, what is it therefore? Like, what is going on? Right? That we need to ask that question when we see that word. Why is it Paul writing this and these words specifically to the Philippian church. So to answer that, we need to have a little bit of a recap as to what's happened up until this point. So if you have your Bibles, you know, grab them analog or digital on your phones or, or tablets and, and go to Philippians chapter 1. Last summer in 2021, we started this and we walked from Philippians 1.1 all the way to the previous verse. And we saw in the first few verses... In verse 1 to 2, how our identity as followers of Christ is that of being both servants and saints. And then we saw in verses 3 to 11, uh, a lot about prayer. Both a pattern for prayer and what to pray. And then in verse 12 to 14, we saw how to see the way that God works. Verse 15 to 18, we learned about discernment and discerning someone's motive. And then in verses 18 to 26, Pastor Allen joined me as we talked about the tension, navigating the tension between life and death. And that brings us to verse 27, and I wanted to read this together with you. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So here, Paul is urging the Philippians to live their lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's urging them to stand firm and stand together to contend with one another for the faith of the gospel because the Philippians were actually undergoing opposition and suffering. So he was writing this into that circumstance. He's also saying here, you might have noticed to be that he was asking them to be unified in one spirit because there were some inner tensions going on with the Philippians. So, In the face of all this, Paul is essentially trying to cause them to lift their eyes up, to lift their heads up beyond their circumstances. He knew what was going on, but he's like, hey, just for a moment, lift your eyes up to Christ. Change your perspective. Look to Christ and see what happens. And that's why he does, uh, that's why he says what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... And then he points them to Christ in the following verses. And in verse 5, he says, so then adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And he talks about who Christ is and what he's done and, and why he did it and what our response should be in the following verses here. So then let's look at verse 12. When Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. When he says these words, he's wanting the Philippians to recognize that faith is a response to who God is, what God's done, and why he did it. He's saying to them, hey, I know there's a lot going on in your life today. uh, That there are relationships that you want um, to be restored to where they used to be. Or there's the way that your life is going right now. Uh, some curveballs that have come your way. And, and, and he's looking to the Philippians and he's like, I, I, I know that. I see that. And I know that you just wish that things would return back to normal. But you can't find a path to go back there. I get that. I see that. And then there are others where you're just, you can't find peace with this person of this ongoing tension and conflict that's, that's just, it doesn't seem to end. And he's saying, I see that. I know that that's what's happening with you right now. Um, but friends, the way forward isn't to focus on the complexity of all that. And Paul mentions the complexity of all the things that are going on with the Philippians right now. And he, and he mentions that because, guys, you can't focus on that. I know that's what's, overwhelming you right now but don't focus on that instead look to Christ instead as you walk out your faith respond in your walk with who God is what he's done and why he did it so that's why in today's message we're going to learn and discover that a life of faith is a life of response that's what we're gonna be talking about today, that the following the way of Jesus isn't about following a list of rules and regulations, but, but it's actually encapsulated in that idea of response. So what would it look like if we were to approach our relationship with Jesus with that posture, by responding to who God is, what God's done, and why he did it? It's sort of like the foxtrot, you know? Any, anyone know how to do the foxtrot? Like I, I've heard a lot about the Foxtrot. My wife Christina is actually wearing a shirt that says Foxtrot right now. It's like, yeah, okay, so I should, I should figure out how to do this. And, and I looked it up on YouTube. How do you dance the Foxtrot, right? And, it, man, it was so simple. Like these two instructors came up on YouTube and they are like, you go forward, forward, let, Oh, sorry, I did it wrong. I always do it wrong. Okay, it's forward, forward, side, together. And they're like, there's it, that's it, that's, that's the foxtrot. And then, but then you need to, there's, there's a pace to it, so you need to go slow, slow, quick, quick. And then you need to put your hands out, right? So it's like slow, slow, quick, quick. Slow, slow, quick, quick. And they're like, you got it, that's the foxtrot. And as I was, pra- I mean, I did it right now because I've practiced a lot. <laughs> But man, you should have seen me a few days ago. Like, I was like stumbling over my feet. I was like, it looks so simple on YouTube, but it was hard to actually do it. I wish it was like breakdancing. Because you know I mean, I breakdance. I know I don't breakdance anymore. I used to breakdance a lot in high school. I mean, I wish it was as simple as that. I mean, just take a look at this, like I can do this. dance quite a bit like that, right? I used to do that, I'm sorry, no, don't clap. That's not why I did it. I can do that, but I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, like, can, this is the Foxtrot. Like, how is it, it looks like they're floating. Side, side, fr- no, side, side? No, front, front, side together. Like, actually, yesterday, I thought this was the Foxtrot. <laughs> Right? It looks so simple, but it's not simple to live out. And in the same way, you know what? So is the life of faith. Just follow Jesus, right? Gather, grow, give, go. Kind of sounds like front, front, side, together. Gather, grow, give, go. It's the same, same, right? No, I mean, it's simple to understand, that the basics of living out our faith is to gather, grow, give, and go, but to actually do it, to actually live it out, it's a whole other story, isn't it? But imagine if we started seeing faith as, the life of faith as a life of response. Imagine what would change in your life. Imagine if you saw faith as an act of following and responding instead of leading. And I think sometimes we think faith is uh, front, front, side, together, but if the life of faith is actually a life of response, then shouldn't our steps be back, back, side, together? You just think about that. Imagine in our life, in our life of faith, if we actually follow Jesus in a way that was like this, following where he led, not necessarily where we want to go. And the more we learn how to respond to his leading, the less we're going to step on each other's toes, right? The more we're going to flow and we're going to experience the life of abundance, of joy, of meaning, of purpose that Jesus intends for us to live. So if we want to learn how to Um, respond we need to learn how to respond and the first way that we're going to do that is to learn how to respond to who God is so who's God and how do we respond to who the person of God is take a look at verse 12 therefore my dear friends just as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling what is what does Paul mean by this with fear and trembling? Is is he is he saying that is he saying that we should approach God with fear and trembling because salvation is uncertain? So we should kind of be afraid of this because we don't know what's gonna happen after we die. Like we're not quite certain. Like, is is that? what he's saying or or maybe is he is he saying we should approach God with fear and trembling because because you know because of who God is like man God is like scary (laughs) so we should approach him with fear and trembling like is that is that what he's saying well it's definitely not the first because if you believe in Christ and have faith in him there is assurance of salvation So maybe it's a bit more of the latter, but not necessarily in the way that we think. When Paul asks us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, what he's saying here is that we need to respond to God with fear and trembling. And he says that for a particular reason. So take a look at verse 9 to 11. He is painting a picture as to who this God is that we need to respond to. Okay, so for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in in, in those verses and even if you look in the previous verses, we see who Jesus is and how he humbled himself and adopted the form and posture of a servant and he gave up his entire life so that we would have everlasting life, like this is the picture of the God that Paul is painting for us. And he's saying here right now, he's like, hey guys, so the fact is one day every single one of us will stand before God. And we will have to give an account to our lives, uh, for our lives. So when he says what he says here, he's wanting us to think about how we would approach this God. Like how, when you pray when you worship when you read the bible when you come here like what's the posture what's your posture of response is it, uh, is it that of like do, do you approach god in in a way that kind of um, like that you're fearful of him like that he's that he's a judge do you see god as a judge do, do you see god as a friend as a servant as a father and so you see yourself as a child like how do you how do you approach god how do you see your relationship with him because the way that you see god and the way that you view your relationship with him is going to affect the attitude in which you approach him right are you approaching him flippantly are you approaching him apathetically or are you approaching him with fear and trembling That phrase fear and trembling is is, is such such an interesting phrase because it it connotes something to us today that I don't think a lot of us are comfortable with when we think about God. And so I looked up all uh, all, this verse and all the different English translations and and nearly every single one of them except the message paraphrase translates this as fear and trembling. like uses those exact words. And in the original language, it's interesting because that word fear... Fear and trembling fear is the word phobia. Well, it's phobos in Greek, but we get the word phobia from that. So when I dug into that, there's actually two different ways that that word is used in the scriptures in the New Testament. One is the obvious way that we think to be afraid. When you read the word fear, it's like to be afa- afraid, to be frightened. So in John 20:19, when the d- disciples were afraid of the Jews, that's how it was used. They were Literally afraid. They were frightened of the Jews. Uh, Or in in Hebrews 2.15, when individuals don't know Jesus, they are held in slavery by the fear of death. That's fear in the frightening or afraid sort of way. But there's another way in the New Testament that that word is translated and used. And it's used not to talk about being afraid and frightened, but it's talked about in the perspective of respect. In reverence or holy awe and wonder. And this is how Paul meant to use it. In Acts 9.31, it's used the same way. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. Not being afraid of the Lord, but living in awe of the Lord, living in wonder of the Lord, living in respect and reverence to who he is, That's what that verse is talking about. Or it's the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord, once again, that's not being afraid and frightened. It's, It's that sense of respect and reverence because of who God is. Now, that word trembling, Fear and trembling, there's not really much to that word trembling. It's, it's a little bit of, of a, it's an idiom. So when you get the word fear, trembling is usually afterwards. So, so it's, it's this idiom, it's this one-two punch, fear and trembling. So to respond to God with fear and trembling means essentially to approach him with respect and reverence. Because of who God is, our response to God should not be driven by fear, but it should be driven by respect and reverence, or holy awe and wonder. That's what Paul is saying here. After all, our God is all-powerful. Our God is all-knowing. Our God is all-seeing. Our God is holy, just, infinite, everlasting, good, true. Our God is slow to anger steadfast in faithfulness and love. He's forgiving. He's gracious. So shouldn't we respond to a God like this with wonder, with awe, with respect and reverence? In fact, when you scan through the entire Bible, we see that the names of God describe who God is. Elohim is creator. God is Elohim. He is our creator. He is El Roy. He is the God who sees. He's El Shaddai. He's the everlasting God. He's El Olam, the everlasting God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. He's Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace, and Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, my companion. This is who God is. So, so if this is who God is, then shouldn't our response to him be respect and reverence? I, I, I love how these two theologians sum up who God is. The fullest revelation of God's attributes, all of God's attributes, is seen in his work of redemption through Jesus Christ. What they're saying here is if you want to know who God is and how we should respond to God, just look at Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. And that's why we read in John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave us his one and only son. That whoever, right, whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So friends, how are you going to respond to a God Like this. To a God that doesn't demand, but to a God who freely and generously gives. So, if a life of faith is a life of response, yes, we should respond to who God is, but we should also respond to what God has done. We need to respond to what God has done. And that's our second point. Now, in verse. 12, we see in verse, chapter 2, verse 12, we, we clarified what fear and trembling means, but Paul says something else here. So let's read it again. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, he says this interesting phrase, doesn't he? Work out your own salvation. What does he mean by this? Like, is, is, he, is he literally saying that we need to work out to earn our salvation? Kind of like how uh, an, an athlete would, needs to work out and train to earn a spot in the Olympics? Like, like, Is that what he's saying? That we need to somehow work out to earn our salvation? Or, or maybe he's talking about relationships and he's like, you need to work things out with God. Right? You know, if you're in a conflict with someone or, or there's tension in the relationship, um, you need to repair that relationship, and, and you just need to work things out, or you try to work things out. So he's saying, "Hey, you need to work things out with God." Like, is that what he's saying here? Like, what exactly does he mean? Because, because this phrase. Work out your salvation, it's such an odd phrase. Just like fear and trembling, it doesn't really compute with a lot of our minds today when we think about God. It's like working out our own salvation. No, Paul's actually not talking about either of those points of view. Now let's remember the context of this passage. All of this is there for a reason and Paul is writing this letter not to everyone in Philippi, He's writing this letter to people in Philippi, more in more particular, Christians in Philippi. That's who he's writing this letter to. In other, in other words, the audience of this letter are people who already have a relationship with Jesus. So, contextually, since Paul is talking to people who already have a relationship with Jesus, when he tells them to work out their own salvation, he's not telling them how to be saved. He's telling that he knows that they are saved and he's saying just keep on keeping on. That's what he's saying here. He's he's not saying... Um, he's not talking about the method of salvation. He's, he's saying, hey guys, I know that you're already working out, and, and, and you're working out not to be saved, but because you're saved, you're working out your salvation, so just keep on doing what you're doing. In Philippians 1.28, he stated this. He stated that salvation is from God. He, he clearly said, And pointed out, hey, salvation is not because of your work. Salvation is because of Jesus' work and what Jesus did for us. So, So a chapter later, when he says to work out your own salvation, he's just saying, hey, guys, so just keep on keeping on. Work out your faith muscles. You're the redeemed children of God. Just keep on going. And because the life of faith is a life of response, he's saying, when you think about working out your salvation and growing in your faith, remember that it's not actually front, front, side, together. It's actually back, back, side, close. And when you work out your salvation, when you grow in your faith, it's about responding. So friends, um, are you working out? <laughs> right, what, is, what does that look like for you? In fact, here's another question, why are you, why are you here? I mean, the, the mornings and the evenings are getting cooler. We know, I'm not gonna say the word, but we know the W word is coming. Um, and so the, the, middle of the, the, the middle of the day, like right now, the weather's great. I know it's a little smoky, but, but the weather's great. The temperature's awesome. So why are you, why are you here? <laughs> are you here to earn? something or, or, or to work out something with God? Are, are you here to impress someone else? Are you, are you here because someone dragged you on, on their arm? Like, why, why are you here today? You know, when I, when I reflect um, on my relationship with Jesus and I, and I reflect on who God is and, and what he's done for me, I mean, I know our prayer lives often are filled with requests and, and petitions and we're asking God for, for this and, and I'm often a lot, a lot of times praying for my family and, and praying for our Beulah Church family and, and praying for how God is leading us and, and, and wanting to discern that direction. And, and I, that's, that's a lot of my prayer and, and I'm, I'm asking. I'm requesting, and that's okay. I mean, God is a good, good father, and he wants that. He wants us to have that sort of relationship with him. But but when I spend time in the scriptures and the passage is talking all about who God is and what he's done, I don't know about you, but my response, like I can't ask for anything, or I don't have any all my petitions kind of just wash away, and and I just I just start thanking God. I just start worshiping him. Because when I reflect on who he is and the fact that he gave himself for us so that we could have everlasting life, beginning in this life and in the life to come. And for all that he's done for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done, my response, my response is gratitude. My response is worship. That's why I'm here. (laughs) In fact, that song, maybe you know it, um, Blessed Assurance, It's an old song, Uh, and and that's why I love this song, because I I feel like that song just so perfectly encapsulates. In fact, if you know this, why don't you sing along with me? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fortress, glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God Born of His Spirit Washing His blood This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long This is my story Savior all the day This is our response. This is, when we respond in worship like this, this is going back, back, side together to who God is and what he's done. So yes, the life of faith is a life of response to who God is and what he's done, but the life of faith is also about responding to why God did it. Like why why did God do it? Why did God send his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins? Why did God provide a pathway to eternal life through Jesus Christ? And why did God make it so simple? It wasn't simple for him. But it's simple for us. I mean, think about this. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to somewhere. We don't have a long list of rules and regulations to keep and and make sure that we are doing, and if we don't do it, we then need to do this and this. and, And that's that's not that's not how it works. He made it so simple. In Romans, we read that all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Yes, confessing your sins before a holy God, but declaring and asking him. and Declaring and confessing your faith in him. He's like, that's all you need to do. Why did he do it that way? Why did he make it so simple for us? For salvation isn't something that we earn, but it's something that we receive. Well, take a look at verse 13. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. There's the answer right there. And maybe you're like, what? (laughs) I don't see what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's exactly the point. For it is God who is working in you. In other words, God saved us not because of what we did. God saved us because he's good. Like, literally, that's it. <laughs> he saved us because he is good. Not because we are good and he's like, oh, they're not too bad, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do this, I'll, I'll save. No, because he is wholly and completely and totally and utterly good That's why he saved us. His nature is good. And because God is good, we can have a relationship with him. And because God is good, we are never alone. In fact, when you look at your life and what it looks like to work out and what it looks like to go back, back, side, together, he has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us and to work out our salvation, to work out our faith, to to keep on keeping on. He's given us The Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, because we're not alone. So when Paul finishes this verse, take a look at this. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work. What is that last phrase? According to his good purpose. What does he mean by that? According to his good purpose. So we clarified, right? God saved us not because of what we did. God saved us because he is good. But we also see here in this last phrase, according to his good purpose, that God saved us because his purposes are good. According to his good purpose. Or in the ESV translation, it's according to his good pleasure. That's why he saved us. Consider how the theologian Gordon Fee explains this. Since God is wholly good, his doing what pleases him is not capricious, but what is wholly good for those he loves. God's pleasure is pure love, so what he does for the sake of his good pleasure is by that very fact also on behalf of those he loves. Everything he said is encapsulated in that very last sentence. So take note of this here. It delights God to delight his people. That's what he's saying here. It it delights God to delight his people. So when God does something, with that in mind, when God does something for his good purpose or for his good pleasure, or as it says in Hebrews 13, in a way that's pleasing in his sight, when God does something in that way, this isn't self-centered. It's actually because God is wholly good and wholly giving and wholly loving. When he does something for his good pleasure, it's not because he's unpredictable or impulsive or capricious. That's what that means. It's it's because God is good. That's why. It's because he's generous. He's gracious. He's giving. So what is good for God is actually good for us. So when he delights himself, he's delighting us. And when we are delighted, he's delighted because what delights us delights him. Let me explain it this way. Uh, Years ago when uh, Christina and I took our kids to Disneyland, we didn't tell them that we were going to Disneyland, like they landed all the way in California and they still didn't know that, and this is when they were young, and, and they still didn't know that they were going to Disneyland, and when they landed in California, it was like, hey, you know, we're here because we're going to Disneyland, and, and you know, it took a while for it to compute in their minds, but when they finally got it and finally understood it, they were like jumping up and down and screaming and yelling, and, and then we're going to see, you know, Cars Land and the princesses and this and that and all over, and it was gonna be so much fun, right? They were so excited. And, and, you know, if you, if you think about it, Christina and I had a lot of fun, uh, and I, I guess you could say that we went for our good pleasure, because we did have fun, and, and, and you know, I mean, it was our money, and we saved up, and, and we paid for it all. But the, the fact is, we didn't really have to go, because Christina and I had gone before. Like we'd gone, we'd gone on the ride, so, so, why, so why was Disneyland so pleasurable for us? It wasn't because we had I and mean, we went on all the rides with them, but that's not actually why it was pleasurable for us. It was pleasurable because it was pleasurable for our kids. That's actually why it was pleasurable for us. Because we saw the rides through their eyes. We saw the delight and the joy in their eyes. And it was actually seeing Disneyland and experiencing Disneyland through them. That's why it was so pleasurable. And that's how it works with God. God delights to delight in us. That's what this verse means here. That God's good pleasure is that we would experience delight here through joy and meaning and living a purpose-filled life in him. And when we do that, that actually delights him. God's not a killjoy. He's the one that gives joy. That's who he is. And he delights to delight us. So friends, how are you going to respond to a God like this? Right, to a God who is wholly good and giving and gracious, to a God who is steadfast in love, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful and forgiving. How are you going to respond to a God like this? To a God who saved us from the punishment of our sins, not because we're good, but because he's good. To a God who rescued us, not because of what we did, but because of what he did on the cross. To a God who delights to delight in us. How are you going to respond to a God like this, to Jesus Christ? You know, like I said before, a lot of times we approach god with our petitions and our requests and and that's good and I'm, i hope you continue to do that because god is a loving father a good father a gracious father and he wants that and he invites us that's why it's, we have a relationship with him but sometimes in our walk with him in the in the back back side together of it all sometimes we just need to be still and know that he is god And sometimes in the moment between, the moment when the song is about to start and you're not moving or you're in between songs and you're just standing together and you're talking, sometimes we just need to be still and we need to let him speak and be grateful that we get to dance with the king. (laughs) Like how incredible is that? that we're not a jester in the court, we're not a servant and a peasant sitting back there afraid to lift their heads up before the King, but that our King Jesus lifts our head up and he says, dance with me. Like how amazing is that? So before that God, before this God, let's close our eyes uh, and let's just be still. Let's not say a thing Let's just be still, be grateful and know that he is God. um, I see the way that Jesus is lifting some of your heads right now. I mean, you don't even know your back is so hunched over. And Jesus is lifting your head right now and saying, look, child, beloved child, you are, I see you, I love you, I've forgiven you. Come dance with me. And then the other ways uh, where you are dancing the most incredible dance with our King Jesus and your life pleases him and your life is a living sacrifice onto him and a smile that is on your face and his face. And then others of you who are, you're just stepping on his toes because <laughs> you're used to leading, you're used to taking charge, you're used to moving things forward. Front, front, back, side together is your, is your dance move. And Jesus is just saying right now, be still. and Follow me. We thank you, Jesus, that we get to dance with the King not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In response to this king, uh, we're gonna partake in communion. And the beautiful thing about communion is that, I mean, we talked about how life is, the life of faith is a life of response. Communion is an act of response. Where yes, we're uh, partaking it, we're eating this cracker, drinking this cup. So it is, I guess, an act, but it's actually an act of response to who Christ is and what he did. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, he is your savior, he is your king. If you don't have one, just lift up your hand and our ushers will, can, can grab that for you. There's a couple over here, um, right here, and a couple back there too and here at the front too. So if, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then I want us to partake this as an act of gratitude. If you don't, just lay this aside for now. Uh, and if you wanna learn about how to have a relationship with Jesus, come forward at the end of the service. Me and our prayer partners would love to talk to you about that. But if you do, partake in this as an act of worship, as an act of response to what Jesus did for you and I. Let's partake. Thank you, Jesus, for the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you that we can do this as a reminder that your body was blessed, broken, and given to us. So may we sit in that and respond in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.